This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Well, good Wednesday morning, everybody. I am Glenda Geek from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Jamie Jennings, and I am in Norman, Oklahoma. And you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for July 3rd, episode 2217, brought to you today by Horselovers.com. Good morning, horse world. And now here to perform the American National Anthem, please welcome our Galaxy Social Night Contest winner, the tiny but mighty seven-year-old singer from Los Angeles, Malaya Emma Chandragwijaya. Oh, say, can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we held at the twilight's last gleaming whose bright stripes and bright stars Us fight oh the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming and the rocket the bomb is bursting in Fourth, everybody, what? seven years old. She looks like she weighs twenty five pounds. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> I found that I've been saving that for like a year. I've been going. Oh, <laughs> I'm going to play that on next fourth. It was you just, found it July fifth last yes, year. <laughs> yes, I've been saving it. Incredible, huh? She's tiny. Yeah. <laughs> she got on it, man. She I got growling. <laughs> she was into it. That's funny. That was cute. Well, happy fourth, everybody. We hope you and your dogs and your horses survive. The Just so you know, you put hours. happy happy fourth in the show notes, and I was like, oh my god, I got to catch a plane. It's the, today's the third, people. <laughs> like, I don't know. I just got panicked. <laughs> well, we're not on tomorrow. So by the way, tomorrow we will not be live. It'll be, but the uh, driving episode will come out tomorrow. We'll be back live Friday. So just as a, hey, big news, big news for all the alcoholics in the country. I'm including <laughs> you in that. Both of you actually in that. So uh, Jemmy's here with us too. Jemmy, on today's show. Sorry, I totally forgot about you. My fault. It's okay. It's all right. I, I 
That's all right. I, totally... I got chills from that girl. I think we can all take a breath and be like, wow, that was just amazing. So it's okay. I forgive you. We're talking about She's about never going to forgive me. <laughs> and on today's show, <laughs> we have a couple of guests coming on from Mission Mustang, a national pilot program involving a therapeutic writing facility outside of Rochester, New York. And we are joined by Dr. Narada Richards for a horse health segment on the basics of feeding a horse with laminitis. But first, Glenn starts us off with some updates. So you don't want to miss any of it. It's going to be a packed show as always today, guys. And speaking of today, today is National Compliment Your Mirror Day. <laughs> National Compliment Your Mirror Day is a day for you to look in your mirror and affirm and acknowledge your inner and outer beauty and recognize your self-worth. So let's all take a clue from SNL's Stuart Smiley and look in that mirror and say, I'm good enough. I'm smart, I'm smart enough, enough and, and dog on it. it. People, People like, like me. me. <laughs> there it is. And I love now- it when he made Michael Jordan do it. <laughs> <laughs> there was tragedy in the world for all alcoholics nationwide today. Last night, a major fire engulfed a Jim Beam bourbon barrel warehouse. Two of them, actually. They managed to put the first one out, the second one burnt to the ground, and along with it, 45,000 barrels of bourbon. 45,000 barrels. I would like to say that I, hearing this, I'm really sorry for all the people involved. However, I'm smiling because an ex-boyfriend of mine loves Jim Beam, and (laughs) like the smell of it makes me like sick because of him and so now i hope he wakes up and he's crying never scorn a woman (laughs) (laughs) they're saying it was possibly a lightning strike which apparently has been some obviously has been some really bad storms across the country they also report that they're using sandbags to help control the runoff because remember oh my god it doesn't evaporate most you know a lot of it runs off so we got forty-five thousand barrels of bourbon running off into glenn's creek my very own creek uh, so there could be some drunk fish unless they solve that problem. Um, and apparently, Wait, why couldn't it be Jimmy's Creek? I <laughs> you'll take the Jim Beam. <laughs> so, uh, so there you go. Tragic news for alcoholics everywhere. And happy news if your name is Tommy. <laughs> happy for me, anyway. <laughs> All right, daily witty time. All right, my daily winnie is some of these. Happy birthday, happy birthday, happy, happy birthday to you. <laughs> so my birthday wishes go out to Paul Tapner, host of the Eventing Radio Show here on the Horse Radio Network, and also Auditor Kimberly Smiley. Do you want me to do the next one, or are you doing it? Jamie. Oh, there you are. I have to turn that on. Uh, I'm sneezing. I'm like having a sneezing attack still. Um, yeah, it's all yours. Okay. So also, I wanted to give our friends at Equestrians Against Normalcy, the card game, I wanted to give them a Daily Winnie too because they gave us our very own card in the latest deck. It is, it says, today in Today on Horses in the Morning Blank. So anybody that knows about that game will know you fill in the blank. So there you go. I, questions against I thought it was team. great. Glenn finds a card. He's like, we're mainstream now. And I was like, are we? 
<laughs> is that means is that considered mainstream oh, in the horse equestrians world. against normal in the horse it's, world it's about uh, as mainstream as we get by the way the most <laughs> epic game of uh questions against normalcy jemmy old test to this was played on the last horse lovers cruise there were about 20 women sitting around playing this for hours on the boat so oh, that sounds fun <laughs> so it was, nobody was, I was drinking one of them but i witnessed it and it was it was a it was a sight to see guys <laughs> I, there was a little alcohol involved um uh-huh. there was a little bit so all right your turn <laughs> oh i don't know how my husband stays married to me glenn i know you don't know i've been saying that for 10 years <laughs> so um we had to rehome harry potter and Hermione. And I'm not... Did I talk about this on Monday? Yes, you did. About... The geese. They had to find new homes because they were attacking uh, people. You Yeah, and so we, we got... Or... I didn't talk about this. So we, we got a, a guinea pig for Lucas as a, in exchange. And we we're going to get two guinea pigs because they need a friend. So I went and I searched on Craigslist for guinea pigs like used guinea pigs <laughs> and so i found one i went and got it's really sweet but he needed a friend so we went to get a friend and i went to this place and i thought it was a i'm just giving you guys the brutal honesty i thought it was like in a nice area and i get there and it was definitely like not a nice area like i'm bringing my child to a place where in oklahoma city where danger lurked around every corner okay so we go in and we get the guinea pig. The people are super nice, but it is a very, like, if I can describe the place, uh, like garbage, it's like guinea pigs and cages up against the walls. Like it was, it, it, cigarette butts like stomped out on the carpet, like just, just a really not so awesome place. Well, they had this guinea pig, but they also had this dog. That was like really sweet and and really skittish and really afraid of everything. And so I buy the guinea pig and I'm like, how much for the dog? Uh, of course. you. <laughs> so for 20 bucks, I got a guinea pig <laughs> and a dog. <laughs> so I come home. Jazz like, you're the guinea pig. And I'm like, yep. <laughs> and out hops little, well, look his name, Marvel on the way home. Out hops little Marvel. Marvel is, oh, good Lord, if you could guess what breed this dog is. They were like, it's a German Shepherd. And I was like, no, it's not. Not at all. It's like six inches tall. <laughs> and it, it kind of has a long back. She's super cute and super sweet. Um, but like I said, she was terrified. Just in the two days, she wouldn't go out. She wouldn't walk outside the door. They they lived on like a third floor apartment with like you know, really steep steps. And they said they had to take her downstairs, carry her down to go to the bathroom. And they had like, I don't know, but I had to get the dog out of there. And of course I have this dog now. And Chad's like, what are you going to do with the dog? And I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do with the dog. I just got the dog because I couldn't leave the dog there. So I had to get the dog and the Guinea pig. And I'm like, you're lucky I didn't come home with more. I'd have taken those kids if <laughs> oh, I could have. This is what you do. You, you have, a, uh, you, this is your mode. This is the way you operate. You come home and say, oh, you're lucky I didn't do more. Because that's supposed to make us feel better as husbands. Remember, I could have paid, uh, you know what I should have said is I paid $1,000 for the dog. 
And you'd be like, what? I'm like, ha just kidding. It was only $20. Yeah, well, you know, it's like, you're you, happy. You have, you have multiple tricks. That's not your only one. You are no, sneaky and conniving. <laughs> so anyway, I've got this dog and she has come out of her shell immensely just in two days. She does not run away. She is a dog that wants to, she's very small. So she wants to like snuggle in your lap. She wants to sleep in your bed. She, you know, all things that are not going to fly with Chad <laughs> and I can't get her on the, like push her off the bed. She jumps back up, I push her off the bed. She jumps back. She's like, but I love you so much. I just love you. So anyway, I have this dog. That now, now wait a minute. Wait, before you go on, we're recording retired racehorse radio. We get a very, very important guest on for yeah. retired racehorse radio. The first night you get the dog and we just get the guest on who then has to wait. Why? <laughs> because she chewed through my headphones cord <laughs> while I was sitting there about to start the interview with a really important guest. And um, I was like, hold on, I can't hear anything. <laughs> so I am. Um, and I'm like, uh, wait a minute, just wait a minute. We sit there for two, three minutes trying to entertain this guy who was thought it was very funny that uh, you got a new dog who ate your cord. So he oh, thought great. It was well, yeah. anyway, she is potty trained. She is a snuggle bunny. She wants to sit in your lap. She's small. She's tiny. She's sweet. Um, and she, what I need to do is find her a home. I can't keep everything. And, and for I, so a I, low thousand dollars, you can have <laughs> your. <laughs> so if anybody listening is in the area and really wants a small, cute, really snuggly, grateful dog, let me know. Her name is Marvel and she's up for adoption. And um, it's not that I don't want to keep her. I just, uh, she just. I just saved her and I need to, I'm fostering her until I find her a home. And we all know how well Jamie's done at fostering in the past. I have rehomed some things that <laughs> needed, like the geese. See? Different situation completely, though. Yeah, yeah, a little different. All right, before we get to our guests, uh, I wanted to do a little bit of history because it is July 4th. And there was this article I found the other day, and I thought this was interesting. Somebody asked, I wonder what the price of horses were back when the country started. Well, we have some records that they found from the early 1800s. We don't have anything for 1776, but they found <sighs> these court records. I was from... like, I don't know if you know, but that wasn't the year. <laughs> <laughs> but th this is what they found. And these were from probate records from people dying and, you know, had to record what they owned and stuff. So this one is Wayne County, which I think is Pennsylvania. And this was 1807. They found in the court records one bay horse for $30, one gray horse for $45. They See, used, grays are always more expensive. Yeah, and they didn't use breeds back then. Um, one bay mare, $45. One sorrel, sorrel ditto, D-I-T-T-O. No idea. Do you know what a sorrel ditto is? No, but I'm going to Google it. $45. One bay mare, $45. And one colt, $10. Then they had, it went on one yoke of oxen, $50. So the oxen were worth more than the horse. Um, but the, you could buy the yoke and the ring. That's the thing they put on the oxen for a dollar. Uh, they had a side saddle. It said, a side saddle for my wife. And it was listed at $10. So, so you could buy a side saddle back then for $10 in the early 1800s. And his entire estate was worth $732, which back then was probably a lot. So um, they found another probate record from 1825, and this was also in Wayne County, where two horses and plow harness were listed at $100. So, uh, you know, went up a little bit, actually, in those Okay, just years. so you know. Yes, um, what's a ditto? A ditto is a 
Pokemon characters. <laughs> so they were really ahead of their time. Wow. I didn't know they had Pokemon back in 1807. Uh, and you could also buy in 1825, you could buy one yoke of oxen for $45 and four cows were $44. So there you go. That's what the prices were in the early 1800s for horses. In today's dollars, that's probably about 10,000. I don't know. Do you know how many horses I would have if they were $35? <laughs> I know. <laughs> You'd have a lot of horses. You know, Great mean... horses for everyone. But then you had to make your own hay. Speaking of making hay, did I see you got yours in without it getting rained on? Oh, it was a miracle. The storm went over us, but like spread, like separated over the farm. I don't know how, but my little Native American rain dances really paid off. <laughs> Good. Anti-rain dance. Good. <laughs> well, our guests are here. I have a little, another little piece of history that's very funny for you after our guests. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I would like to welcome our guests. I'm I'm very excited to have both of them on, but let's start with um, Jonathan Friedlander. He's the founder of Mission Mustang. Hey, Jonathan. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, where are we talking to you from? Uh, we are outside of Rochester, New York, in Menden, New York. Glenn, you want to handle that? Yeah. Are you on a speaker? Is there any way we could have you come off the speaker? Um, sure. Yeah. Is that any better? That's much there better. Yeah. yeah. Now Sorry, we can hear we, you. Okay. We have an echo when okay. that happens. Sounds... Well, again, okay. th- no, that's thank, fine. You for, thank you for joining us. Tell us about Mission Mustang. Okay. Well, Mission Mustang is actually a, a program within um, the Equus Center, which is uh, the center in New York State Um that is much broader with uh, therapeutic horseback riding and organic farming and canine programs and culinary arts programs and yoga and things for uh, veterans and, and uh, people with disabilities and at-risk youth. Mission Mustang is a relatively new program, uh, started a year ago, and we have a relationship, a memorandum of understanding with the Bureau of Land Management which is part of the U.S. Department of the Interior, who is uh, charged with looking after the wild horses and burros um, in the United States. And Mission Mustangs' concept is to bring together uh, Mustangs, wild horses from out west, with uh, veterans. And putting the two together, um, there are about 50 to 70,000 Mustangs who are still running free in about 10 states out west. And uh, in order for that, those herds to survive, the BLM gathers off some horses uh, to decrease the numbers to give the other herd a chance to survive. And with that, there's about 50,000 Mustangs that are held in facilities around the country, no longer, no longer free and running wild. So what the, the concept behind Mission Mustang is you have a, a prey animal, a hypervigilant animal that is out of its element um, with uh, facing stress and anxiety and trying to get back into its herd, being a herd animal. And it very much um, symbolizes or um, looks like our many of our veterans facing post-traumatic stress who are often facing hypervigilance, high stress and anxiety and trying to fit back into a community or a herd, if you will. 
And so what we do is we bring the two together and there's an immediate realization and connection. The veterans feel that they feel what the horse is going through. Um, there's a sense of purpose that the veteran is, is given to help these Mustangs as we gentle them with using uh, nationally acclaimed Mustang trainers. So we don't just put veterans into uh, round pens with and enclosures with horses that have never worked with people. And they're not crazy as many people would think. They're just very scared. These horses have never worked for or worked with uh, people before. And so it's all about building trust and building a relationship. Go ahead. I was going to say, let me stop you. you um, I, I wanted yeah. to let you know, just to put it out there, that we you're talking to all horse people. Everybody listening is a horse person. We are not the news channel. We know everything you're talking about. And actually, I am heading to California tomorrow to work with veterans with horses. Okay. So it is definitely something that is near and dear to our heart. And I also am a Mustang owner. So we, I oh, mean, great. Okay. What, what you guys are doing, yeah, we know the whole story of all the Mustangs. And I, I it, it hurts my heart a little bit to say that they're trying to preserve the the mustangs when they're by rounding them up when they're trying to preserve the the land i mean but that's like a debate for another time but what i want to know is um first of all equicenter sounds like a just amazing place talk a little bit about that so it again it's a it is a, a very special place it's a 200 acre facility with rolling farmlands and trails and and obviously riding facilities and pastures and and uh, it did start as a therapeutic equestrian center um, but as we had individuals wanting particularly veterans who wanted to spend more time here in the, the peaceful surroundings um, more riding was not necessarily the answer because we have always about 40 people 30 to 40 people on our waiting list and and mm -hmm. new programs you know trying to start we have uh, um, had to look how to expand and offer different opportunities. And that's what led to the organic farming and the farm to table. We have a, so cool. a contract with the veteran the department of VA to provide therapeutic horticulture and farming. And so there's, um, there's a lot going on here. It's a very holistic approach to, um, I want to go it's, facing a lot of different challenges. It sounds amazing. It sounds us. amazing. What a, what a cool, cool center. Um, now why with all of that going on, why did you feel it was important to incorporate Mustangs? Well, part of it is, um, and we didn't start working with, with veterans initially. We were focused more on uh, young children and, and adults um, with more disabilities and at-risk youth. Uh, about 10 years ago, we did start to um, serve veterans with help from the Bob Woodruff Foundation and just a recognition that, recognition that uh, we could do it. And mm -hmm. we should do it. It's something we felt we owed to our, our servicemen and women. Um, and then uh, through connections that I have with the Bureau of Land Management, we were approached to try to do something to show a Mustang could become a therapy horse. Um, at the time, we were at a much smaller facility, so the timing wasn't right. But then in recent years, we moved to this new facility. It was more appropriate. We had the space uh, reconnected with, with the Bureau of Land Management. And, and again, I want to recognize that what you had said, we're, we didn't come up with the concept to work with veterans and Mustangs. Mm -hmm. um, it is being done. 
what what we're doing with the Bureau of Land Management is is tracking the development of a center that wasn't doing it, um, measuring the outcomes of the horses, measuring the outcomes of the veterans, and really trying to create a model that others can follow across the country. Because mm-hmm. the Equa Center itself um, is not going to be able to address, um, make a dent in the numbers of Mustangs that need to be um, helped. Yeah. Um, but what we're hoping, and veterans for that matter, but what we're hoping is as a model can be created and replicated, that will help uh, increase the numbers of horses and veterans across the country that can be served and saved. I think that this is such a wonderful program and, and, and if you can get this going, it would be just life-changing for so many, you know, uh, those of us that have Mustangs, we understand just how, I mean, just horses in general, how they heal and, you know, working with a lot of the veterans that I have, just watching the horses, the way that they do help the veterans. And then to add that, uh, part with the Mustang, I mean, that's a beautiful thing because there's so many, like you said, 50,000 of them that are just standing around waiting for something to do. So if you could get this going and like, I think what I read is you want to get it kind of all over the country, which would be awesome. Uh, I, I just wish you guys the best of luck. I'm so, I'll support you any way I can. It's so great. Thank you. And I honestly would love to hear more about your experience at, at a different time working with veterans and, and your experience working with Mustangs, because it will take, a, a real team team effort and a national team effort to, to make this successful. I would definitely put you in touch with Monty Roberts because that's who I work with. So he's a, he's an advocate okay. for all of these things, but I do want, we have a uh, special, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, that's, that's why I know that uh, he also works with the, um, the British military and army and the, mm-hmm. uh, we do that as well. We have a relationship with, um, the Household Cavalry, which is uh, Prince Harry's regiment, and we do some exchanges with them. And in fact, we were in uh, Sydney, Australia, in October at the Invictus Games, uh, introducing I mean, some of the work we do with with veterans and mustangs, and not veterans and mustangs, veterans and and horses. How are you guys not best friends is what I want to know. <laughs> Y'all are taking over the world together. That's great. Well, I do want to welcome another special guest and his name is Nathan Bush and he was the first veteran in the Mission Mustang program. Hi, Nathan. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. I, I know you're totally famous because I saw you on the news. Uh, and <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk to us. Talk to us about <laughs> how did this whole thing come up? You have, you've come back from, well, I believe you served in the Air Force, which my husband just retired from the Air Force as well. So thank you for your service. Wow. Um, somebody you. says to you, hey, let's get you fixed up and put you in a pen with a Mustang. What did you think? <laughs> You know, it was the craziest story. I never could have seen it coming, but but there was a big change in my life after I watched the film called Wild Horse Redemption. It was about Mustangs and prisoners out west. You know, and at that time, I had no way to conceive of how I might be involved in such a thing. But having seen that and uh, hearing about the reduction in recidivism, the, the really impactful, life-changing power, I was just lit up by that. Now, I have not been a horse person most of my life until just recently. So uh, I didn't really take it as a literal thing. I was just inspired by the concept that, that horses could do such a thing. It seemed like magic to me. Um, and then through a, a, a crazy sequence of events, I was in for a VA appointment with a chiropractor and 
he told me about a place called Equicenter. And uh, he asked me how I'd recovered from all my injuries. And I said that um, the physical therapy and all that didn't do it, but the farming did. And he had a farming program starting here at Equicenter. So I just want to point out Equicenter serves veterans in, in more ways than we can count. But uh, so I came out to that only because um, it was Equicenter and it was that horse connection. And I was so lit up by that Mustang thing, but I never knew there was the possibility for this to come. And then shortly after my involvement here, Jonathan uh, mentioned that he was considering uh, having veterans work with Mustangs. And I just felt like I was right in the center of the purpose of my life. I was so lit up and I was so grateful um, for the opportunity to be involved in that and to kind of perpetuate this powerful thing that I had seen in this film to actually be part of it and to, to experience it for myself and to have the opportunity to share that kind of healing with other veterans. Um, it's, it, you know, it, it's a, it's an epic vision come true kind of in my own backyard. I live about five miles down the road and I never knew it was here all my life. So it's really been a fascinating story for me. So t- tell us about that first time you, you were in the pen with the Mustang. Well, um, I can tell you the first time I touched the Mustang. Yes. Um, I was standing outside the pen and they had just arrived and they were incredibly um, worked up and scared and running around. And I was standing outside the fence and one came around into the corner while our trainers was in the, in the, in the fence with them. And I was able to kind of, she said, reach out and touch him. So I did. And I put my hand on him. And uh, I really felt almost like an immediate connection and and something really special, perhaps to be the first person um, to make contact with that horse. And, you know, really from that moment on, I I, I chose to work with him and I got to work with him. And um, the relationship, building the relationship, building the trust, connecting with that horse in that way, this wild horse that is choosing choosing to work with me because we use the natural horsemanship and um, choosing to work with me to make a better life for him. um, And in the process, you know, radically impacting my life. So it's, it's all been kind of a blur, but the days that I come to train are, are, are the, are the the juice in my life. (laughs) Those are the days I look forward to most. Why, why do you think the Mustang is is a is a great teacher or is a great help for a veteran. Well, so I never I I never knew this about horses that they that they are magical that they have this ability to kind of reflect my state of mind. They have this ability to see through, you know, any, any kind of front I could put up, and that what I found immediately working with horses in general was just that if I showed up. Um, hot and bothered, then I probably wasn't going to have good results with my horse. They weren't going to respond. And I realized that in order to get where I wanted to go and connect with the horse that I had to learn to get present, to get focused, to calm my inner self, to leave behind whatever stressors I might be coming out of or whatever stress I might be feeling. I, I, I worked really hard, especially with the Mustangs, to be able to create that state of being inside myself. So, because I know the Mustang needs that somebody to show up um, solid as a leader 
And um, that has really been the work for me. I've so enjoyed learning to do natural horsemanship. Um, but the way that this has spilled out into my life is in um, my ability to, 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 to stay rooted and grounded and, and to keep my center within myself in all of my interactions, whether it's, you know, traffic or where my kids can be frustrating sometimes, my two teenagers or my 99-year-old, oh, he's a 100-year-old grandpa now that I take <laughs> care of. All that stuff um, really demands this kind of, um, these qualities, these skills, tools that I've had to learn in order to show up for my horse, Hero, in order to um, be the leader that he can trust and, um, you know, in, in you know, be the confidence that he needs. Um, and he's done the same thing for me. So it has I, been really profoundly uh, life-changing for me. You know, it's so funny. I was going to ask you, how has your life changed? And that was just the most beautiful answer as far as, I mean, you just, you just spilled it all out. It just, it goes, it goes into every aspect of your being, you know, and, and just the, mm. the, the time to just take a, take a breath, just breathe and just mm. one by one, one after another, and you can just let it go. And you have to, when you're with a horse, uh, especially a wild mm. horse, because man, they just mirror your adrenaline levels, you know, and they just mirror your emotions. <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> so really, really great. Um, I've got a question for Jonathan. Jonathan, how does it how does it make you feel to hear somebody say something like this about this program? Oh, well, obviously, it's you know it's a it's a real team effort out here. There's a, we're um, very volunteer driven and and a staff that is understaffed, and so you know every day's sort of a grind. We're in our fifteenth year. Um, we've had really um, um, incredible growth over the years, and again, I mentioned just a lot of people waiting for the programming. So it's, you know, when you're a charitable organization and you're understaffed and underfunded, it's, you know, hard days. But honestly, when you hear people like Nathan, you know, say thank you or share how it's changed their lives. Um, we have um, children as young as two that come out to us and um, young kids that doctors said they would never walk and you know, parents come into the riding arena and holding their hands as they're walking into us and mm -hmm. they attribute it to, to the work they've done with us. Um, we had a, a six, seven year old girl that was nonverbal. And, uh, after two weeks of riding, um, as she approached the barn, she yelled out the word horse. Oh my God. And that was, the, that was the beginning of, uh, you know, uh, she's been with us for 15 years now and, um, changed her life profoundly and her family's life. So, it's those stories um, that we feel like we're making a difference that people tell us we see it daily. Um, it does make us feel good. And I think that makes all the, all the hard work uh, worth it. Well, where can people go to learn more and donate their time or their money or anything to, to, to help you guys? Uh, well, obviously um, if people want to start, you can you know, look on the internet and just look up Equicenter and, and we'll come up. Our web address is equicenterny.org. That's e q u i c e n t e r n y dot org. Um, our office number is uh, five eight five six two four seven 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 two. There's lots of information. Uh, there's um, about our different programming and ways to get involved um, from locally or regionally or, or from afar across the country or even 
now they're international with the Invictus Games. You know, it could be mm-hmm. uh, globally as well. Um, I did want to mention uh, one of the things about Mission Mustang is um, this Monday we're actually going live for the first time with an online auction for to help find homes for four out of the six Mustangs that we have now because part of the program is, again, through the gentling process, is to find really good homes for these Mustangs, um, you know, to obviously improve their lives and the lives of others that they'll work with and become new family members for and with. Um, but then we also want to make space for more Mustangs to come in so that we can continue the process of, of saving Mustangs and, and saving veterans. Okay. So I'm on, online. I'm looking, I'm looking right now. And it says here that trooper Sarge Liberty and freedom are all up for adoption. And thank God I didn't see hero's name on that list. I'd have had to do something yep, about hero. that. <laughs> it's Nathan's yeah, horse. Hero and, Ranger, <laughs> hero and Ranger are going to be staying with us for, for the foreseeable future. Um, Ranger has in particular has shown that he may want to become a therapy horse. Um, he's become, they're both very, very special. And Nathan of course has worked with hero and, and hero has uh, become a celebrity with, uh, um, a lot of news coverage and videos done about him and and stories written. So for the time being, um, those two will stay with us working with, with veterans and becoming, um, uh, further advanced in their, in their training and, and helping others. Uh, the other four we hope to find good homes for, and uh, as I said, to create more space to bring new Mustangs in. And then it's part of the process that we're trying to show that this program works to be replicated. And that's where, again, across the country, we can multiply the numbers of, of Mustangs and veterans saved. That's amazing. Thank you so much. I, I will uh, put... Monty Roberts people in touch with you for sure, because I think you guys, it's like the perfect uh, marriage there. So equicenterny.org. And um, you guys, thank you so much for coming on Jonathan and Nathan and sharing your stories. We really appreciate it. And we wish you the best of luck in the future. And hopefully we'll catch up with you soon. Thank you very much. Thanks guys. Well, we go from that to talking about the 4th of July and the sales that you can find at horselovers.com. And of course, uh, you know, you know, they always have sales at, at Horse Lovers, but this year, especially right now, today, 20% off back on track products. And that back on track, something you don't see on sale too often. And I know you use back no, on track, right? Uh, you don't see it on sale. And that irritates me because I, my horses are walking back on track advertisements. <laughs> like they are, we've got the quick boots. We've got the blankets. We've got polo wraps. We've got leg wraps. We've got the bridal thing. There's just so much back on track stuff. And, um, I mean, for God's sake, my husband has back on track underwear. Well, I was just honest. looking. The back on track men's boxers are now $30 down from 45. I didn't know they had women's boxers too. Uh, oh, they got everything now. Remember when we started, we used to do commercials for Back on Track and there was like, they like four two things. products. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> do you know they no. have Greyhound blankets? You never see blankets for Greyhounds because they're uh, so long. Regular dog blankets don't fit. So I didn't even know. Do they have Basset that. Hound blankets? I don't see Basset Hound blankets. <laughs> no, probably you could get, they do have, um, they have the dog blankets in multiple sizes for uh, marked down from 109 to 71. So, I mean, they have almost every product that Back on Track puts out. I didn't even know they did men's and women's long johns either. 
but uh, the knee braces, the uh, the bell boots, the back braces, everything. Uh, there's four pages of back on track products that are all marked down 20% right now. And if you keep an eye on horselovers.com tomorrow, I'm sure there'll be a big 4th of July sale as well. Horselovers.com, you want to check it out every day for all the amazing deals you'll find there. Before we get on, I have some more history news for you here before we get to our health segment. But before we even do that, did you hear the big breaking story uh, coming out of the uh, from the former FEI president? Do you remember Princess Haya? This is crazy. I did. You know, I saw this this morning, and Princess Haya was president of the FEI when we started this show. She was president of the FEI when we did the 2010 radio show. We had her. Samantha and I talked to her. We had her on the show. So she was president of the FEI for what years, Jamie, right? I mean, years and years. And uh, she is also the wife of Sheikh Mohammed. And we've talked about Sheikh Mohammed because he's an endurance rider and he's come up in the news. Well, apparently she did a little trip with her two kids, her son and her daughter, to Germany uh, secretly and is requesting asylum from the German authorities and a divorce. Well, Sheikh Mohammed apparently is not happy. Um, I was going to say, that's all I know is that she fled the country with her children. And then I read the article. I'm sorry. Why didn't I know he had like six wives? Oh, he has like a dozen or lots of wives. Yeah. And apparently lots of uh, women that aren't wives. Uh, He has a full harem. Um, But yeah, so she requested asylum. She snuck away and requested asylum. Apparently he's furious and has requested they be returned. And Germany's saying, screw (sighs) you. We're not returning them. And uh, so he's saying now, this is what he, apparently the reports are, he has declared a a conflict between the UAE and Germany. Oh my God! Are you kidding me? I don't know what that means, but um, I didn't They're going realize war over Princess Haya. Yeah, exactly. I didn't realize that she's the daughter of Jordanian King Hussan. I didn't know that, um, and the sister of King Abdullah. So she's she's apparently royalty all the way around. Uh, so anyway. That's what's going on. We'll have to keep an eye on that to see what happens. But I assume she's in hiding. This is crazy. That is just like, that's like movie stuff. It is. It is like movie stuff. And of course, there was a certain journalist that was killed recently, you know, that uh, made the news. And so Princess Haya, I imagine, is in its deep hiding. Imagine Germany has her buried at this point because, wow, what a crazy story. Uh, oh, my heart breaks for any woman who's in a situation like this. I don't know her story. I don't, I don't think know there's her. Too many women that are in a situation like this. I mean, there's plenty <laughs> of women that are in situations where they're running away from their husbands or bad guys. Yeah, but so, their husbands don't usually have teams of military. No, no, no. Nobody's no. declaring war on other countries <laughs> yeah, because of them. But there are women yeah, that are in her same situation, yes. really. You know, if you think about it. Yeah. And uh, my heart Ooh. breaks for anybody that's facing something like that. And this on such a grand scale, how are they going to keep her? I mean, the, I, I, I can't, my brain can't wrap it. Well, if anybody can keep this. her safe, probably the Germans can. So that's one plus, uh, right? Anyway, I think that the Germans have lost stuff before. So I really (laughs) would. I think. Are you talking about those two worse that you're. Let's not get into a history discussion. It's July 4th. Oh, yeah, actually, let's get into a history discussion. I have something a little lighter for you, but it does go to show how things never change. So this is an article, and who knew, from Bit and Spur magazine in 1911. 
So apparently there was a Bit and Spur magazine, and the Carriage Museum of America posted this the other day. It's It was an article about an ocean liner by the name of Miniwasaka. Miniwasaka was an ocean liner that used to do transatlantic voyages, because remember, that's how you used to get from London to New York, on a boat. Well, a horse show, which was held on board the Atlantic transport liner Miniwasaka, on one of its trips from London to New York was probably the first of its kind ever held uh, in the bosom of a ship. So they apparently held a horse show because they're transporting all these horses. You're bored. Why not? You'll you'll do a horse show. There were 226 horses on board, including French and German coach Percheron and Belgians belonging to, among others, and it gives a whole list of people who owned them. The affair was held between decks. A ring was made by clearing a space near the stalls, and there was not much room for pace and action, it says. The judging was confined mostly entirely to points and... Edward Hobson of Ohio was the judge. So here we are. We got all these horses on board. We're bored. Let's have a horse show. It's, this is, goes on, and this is the part that I went, wow. Uh, which, which, which part really got you? Because I got my part. Okay. Almost every horse show has its bevy of pessimists. This is in 1911. Growlers, pessimists, growlers, and it's, it's all up with the horse brigade. Why on earth do these men go to shows at all? Horse shows never looked healthier on land, and this looks as if they were going to monopolize the ocean for horse exhibitions. Apparently, there were a lot of people didn't. didn't like horse shows in 1911. It is certain that the horse will never go out of fashion. Remember, cars were just coming in. And it would not be surprising as time went on to see an inter-oceanic horse show held on a steamliner specially constructed for such an enterprise. Anything new appeals to the restless public who can imagine anything more novel than a fashionable horse show at, at sea. If they can only construct a vessel of circular shape and large enough, it would be a first-class way of getting around the anti-racing laws, which have paralyzed the thoroughbred breeding operations in this country. Mm -hmm. There oh, were so many <laughs> states that didn't allow racing at that time. Oh, my God. How things never change. This was 1911. The people didn't like horse shows. People complaining about that. People complaining about racing. It doesn't ever changes. <laughs> just... I love, I, I just like that, like just constructed track. And I was thinking like, they could just put it right outside Santa Anita, like on the ocean. Cause it's real close to the ocean or Del Mar. <laughs> you know? I want to read, I want to see the really round ship that they built to put the uh, arena and track in. So that'd be, good. yeah. Yeah. They make uh aircraft carriers. They could do a racetrack. <laughs> God, I want to get hold of some of the bit and spur magazines from 1911 or 19, early 1900s. There must be some other interesting stuff in there. I know. I was looking them up, but uh, I can't find the price on it. There's only like one I can find online. It's from 1905. Wow. I wonder who has all those old records or if they just got destroyed. Mm -hmm. Crazy. But anyway, there's my little bits of history. Well, we're going to now go to a health segment. Uh, we have had some questions recently, uh, and Jennifer was kind enough to pull out an old health segment that we did. We've had some questions on feeding for a laminic, laminitic horse that time of year, uh, and more than just calorie control, how do you do that? And we had done a segment with Dr. Narada Richards back in the old days. We're going to play that for you right now. Well, welcome back, Dr. Richards from FeedXL, our favorite doctor of equine nutrition, 
what are you going to talk to us about today? We're going to talk about um, laminitis today, Ooh, which is pretty hot topic. Pretty topical. Yeah, it's um, it's pretty topical, unfortunately, for us at the moment. But um, and and I imagine for you guys having the type of pasture that you have most of the year. Yes. So yeah, it is. Now, this is a huge topic um, and, and it tends to get quite confusing for people because there is so much differing advice out there. So um, pretty much I just want to talk about um, getting the basics right for horses that are, that are laminitic and, and there's, there's three um, main points with getting the basics right. Um, that a low sugar forage should make up most of the diet. Never, ever feed grain grain byproducts or molasses to these horses. Um, and the third thing is to make sure the diet is always balanced for vitamins and minerals um, because we tend to get a little bit carried away with restricting calorie intake for these guys to control body condition and, you know, control um, sugar intake and we forget about the rest of the diet and that's not great because they need to repair damage if they've had a bad bout of laminitis. Well, that sounds so simple when you put it that way. <laughs> Yet folks with laminitic horses always look so worried. Well, I mean, there's probably there's probably a good reason for that. I mean, one, um, you can't tell what the sugar content of a forage is just by looking at it. Aha. Uh-huh. Um, so, so for someone who you know can't buy hay in large amounts, if they're constantly changing between forage sources, um, you know, you never really know what you're getting from one batch to the next. Um, and point. it's it's not enough just to to get a hay that looks like it's poor quality because even a hay that looks like it's poor quality can have quite high sugar and starch levels. That's that's very closely related to the species of grass, is it not? Yes, is it, yes, it is. I very recently learned that certain types of grass hays, different grass hays like timothy and orchard grass and brome grass and fescue are all very common grass hays in in my part of North America. There's a there's a wide variety of starch contents in those different species of grass. I was amazed. I always just figured it was about the same, but now that I had a fatty, I kind of had to look it up. Yeah. The other thing too is even within a species, so um, you know, within Timothy, depending on what the conditions were at the time of harvesting and also, you know, for the couple of weeks leading up to harvest, that is going to influence how much sugar and starch is in that. Wow. Um, hey, so, so that's it, where I guess having access to um, a commercial hay reseller. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they have them in Australia too. Um, yep. There are a couple of companies that all they do is grow hay. Yep, that's their their complete business model, mm-hmm. um, and they package it all up neatly so that you can purchase it by the pallet, etc. But using a company like that, where they really do a lot of testing. Mm-hmm. You can get a much more accurate idea of what is in the hay versus buying it from a local farmer who may, who may create wonderful, good quality hay for your horse, but you really don't know until after you've been feeding it for 30 days and then your horse's feet start to heat up. Well, I mean, not necessarily. If you've got, if you've got, I mean, yes, if you can buy hay that comes with an analysis and the analysis says, yes, this forage is less than 12%, preferably less, less than 10% non-structural carbohydrate, great, buy that hay. But if you've got someone local who grows good hay and you can buy it in, you know, decent quantities, 
ask that 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 you can you know go and take a sample of that hay and have it sent off to a lab like Equianalytical or Dairy One, um, and have it tested for non-structural carbohydrate and say to the farmer, look, if it comes in under the level that I want, I'll buy it. If it doesn't, I can't buy it because it's not suitable for my horse. Um, and and really for um, for really close management of laminated horses, it, it's the best way to go. Um, now, if if you can't have your hay tested and you can't buy hay that comes with a test, um, you can soak your hay and that will remove some of the sugars. Um, really? So soaking oh, that's hay, kind of like rinsing your pasta. A, a little, a little, except you can't, you can definitely can't wash all the starch out of pasta, but um, because some of the, the sugars are water soluble, they will actually leach out of the hay. Huh. So, so you and then you take the, that water and you take it over to the skinny horse on the other side of the aisle and give it to him? <laughs> yeah, give it to the skinny horse. No, I sure. recommend tipping it on your garden. Um, but 30 minutes to an hour in, in, um, in warm water, if you can, if, if warm water is not available, then just doing it in cold water is, is, um, is fine as well. Um, and then rinse it and let it sort of drip dry for a little while and then, and then feed it. So that's a little bit of a, a stopgap if you, if you don't know what the um, non-structural carbohydrate content of the hay you have is, then it's probably safest that you soak it. Hmm. Um, now, there, yeah. there is um, alfalfa, which we have talked about in a previous tip, um, nearly all, well, it does, it always has a low non-structural carbohydrate content. So, so it's a good one if, if sugars are your primary concern, um, it's a good one for laminitic horses. Because you can have um, laminitic horses that aren't skinny, can't you? Yeah, you can. Okay. Yep. Okay. So, so alfalfa is great, um, particularly for laminated horses that, that need to put on a little bit of weight, um, or laminated horses that are in work and have quite high energy requirements because it's low in sugar and starch, um, and quite high in energy. You do need to use it with caution with overweight laminated horses because it is so high in, in, um, calories. Got it. Check mark. Okay. <laughs> um, now, if you if you're grazing, because of course grazing can still for some horses form um, part of their forage intake. Um, the best time to graze them is in the wee hours of the morning, like as early as you can bear to get out of bed and put them out on pasture. Um, but bring them in around mid morning, because as the day goes on and the plant starts photosynthesizing with the sunlight, um, it'll start producing more sugars and they build up. Um, so they're at the lowest level in the morning because the, the plant has burnt them overnight to um, stay alive because that's its source of calories um, and then they build up again during the day. So if you hmm. if you are going to graze, only allow them to graze in the wee early hours of the morning. So get up at midnight, yes. get your horse out and bring uh, him back in at dawn. Three in the morning would be better. <laughs> okay, 3, 3 a.m. to dawn. Okay, got it. I'm sure everyone would be happy to do Check that. mark. <laughs> See, that's the thing. I mean, some of these things really aren't practical. Um, and, you know, for someone who only can, can only store four or five bales of hay at a time, it's not practical to go and have every lot of that hay tested. Right. Um, so that, that, that's why, I mean, you said it sounds simple, but that's why people with laminated horses are often looking worried because sometimes these things that we say to do just aren't practical. Mm-mm. Um, now, the other, the other source of forage that um, gets forgotten a little bit or, or people are um, scared of using for horses for various reasons is haylage or silage. Um, Ooh. Oh, yeah. my goodness. If you came to America and, said, and, and even mentioned giving silage to your horse. Botulism. Oh, oh <laughs> but, I mean, it, it's used, you know, all through Europe where um, they don't have good haymaking conditions. They tend to make a lot of haylage just because mm-hmm. it's practical for so them to make So explain to those of us 
the, my only experience with silage um, is in the dairy cattle industry, and you don't go inside the silo when it's percolating because if you breathe in too deeply, it will kill you. So explain <laughs> to folks what exactly haylage is. Okay. So haylage, I mean, haylage is a little bit different to silage. Haylage tends to um, – so when you make haylage um, – it's the same process initially as making hay. You go out and cut the plant, but then with hay, you leave it sit in the paddock or you bring it in and um, dry it until it's at roughly, you know, 85 to 90% dry matter. With haylage, you actually bale it up, um, package it up when it's around um, 45 to 50% dry matter. So it's actually, it's quite wet. Um, so, it, and then you completely seal it in plastic. There is not allowed to be any oxygen into that packaging um, and within that packaging the bacteria that are either naturally there or, or some people who make haylage professionally inoculate their haylage the bacteria actually ferment the sugars and starches that are in the grasses and produce um, acids so effectively it's grass that gets pickled by bacteria pickled but- hay yeah, it is. I mean, and, really? and horses, horses love the stuff. If they're used to it, I mean, it does smell a little bit funny, but a good, a good haylage, um, and haylage is generally packaged in really small packages. So it's not your massive silos of silage like you see for uh-huh. dairy cattle or the big, the big bales of silage that you'll see for cattle. Generally, haylage is, is made in much smaller packages and the packaging is, um, you know, a lot more attention is paid to make sure that there's no holes in the packaging or anything like that. But the reason it's good for laminitic courses is because of the fermentation process so after the bacteria ferment all the sugars and starches there is no sugar and starch left which means it's a really low non-structural carbohydrate forage so it's like it's like making whiskey for your horse it you put the bacteria in there it sucks up all the sugar <laughs> not, but it doesn't turn it into not alcohol <laughs> so you buy a little package and you would have to use a little bit different weight ratio because it's such a high moisture. You know, ten pounds yes. of dry hay isn't the same as ten pounds of haylage. No, that's right. Um, and that's what you f- and you feed your horse because it, but it preserves the other nutrients within the hay. Yeah. Yep. Most of the other nutrients, um, surprisingly, are, are well preserved. It was just there was a study done here um, in Australia a couple of years ago looking at the um, omega fatty acid content of haylage, and and even they're really well preserved. Hmm. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, over, it's going to be the same as any conserved forage. Over time, you're going to lose vitamin content. Um, but certainly the minerals and the, and the protein are all in there. And, and it's actually, because of the fermentation process, it's actually more digestible and therefore higher in calories than hay. But again, you have to keep in mind that it's there's a lot of water in haylage. So weight for weight, mm-hmm. um, they're not comparable. But if you compare them on a dry amount of basis, your haylage will generally be higher in calorie content than you standard hay fascinating haylage huh well there you go now the other reason um people who own laminitic horses often look so worried is because there is a lot of feeds that claim to be suitable for laminitic horses that just aren't so a lot of people go out and think they're doing the best thing for their horse and buy a feed that, you know, in Australia we've got feeds that claim in bold lettering no grain, contains no grain because, um, of course, you know, you can't feed grain to a laminitic horse. Um, and the feed will be made completely of um, what you guys call middlings, wheat mids. It doesn't contain whole grain, but it contains, <laughs> uh, it contains like a, yeah. grain byproduct. Yeah. So, you know... Um, 
when you, you know, I mean, to, to someone who works as a horse nutritionist, it's, it's obvious you read the, the label and you think, well, it doesn't have any whole grain, but it's got, you know, grain byproduct. But for someone that doesn't read feed labels all day, um, it's not that obvious. And you do take notice of the no grain. Um, it's the big letters. Yeah. Yeah. The big letters yeah. say no grain. And then the little letters say, now, wheat middlings are which part of the actual grain of wheat? Okay, um, I may not answer this properly. What we what we call them in Australia is wheat bran and wheat pollard, and okay. then we have we have mill mix or mill run, which is is those two things together. So when when wheat is milled to turn it into flour, the mm-hmm. bran and the pollard um, are the outside layers that that come off the wheat grain to get to the white starchy bit in the middle that they the then make flour, flour from. Yeah. So the wheat the wheat mids um, is going to be those part of those outside layers of the wheat. Grain. Okay, so there's the outer, outermost layer, which goes in a bag that those of us in North America call um, bran, which people yep. like to make into bran mash, separate yep. tip. Yep. And then the mids, which is the next layer in. Is, that's then, what we would call pollard, yep. They're pollard. And then the, would you call it the germ, the middle part? Uh, or is that the middle part after the, after the starchy part? The end, well, the endosperm is the middle Part that's the white starchy bit, but that generally goes into human food. Okay. So it's it's kind of a, an in between layer that really doesn't have a purpose in life. Therefore, they make it into horse feed because it's a cheap commodity. Well, I mean, it, it's a nice ingredient, but for um, again, like alfalfa, it needs to be used in the right way. But um, for a lemonitic horse, it contains about twenty percent starch. Oh, so it's just it's doesn't just sound like a good the, idea at all. Complete no list um, should never be used in their diet because of start. Of course, starch is digested in the small intestine and turned into glucose, and then the glucose is absorbed and triggers the insulin response. And in these insulin-resistant horses, that's what then triggers their laminitis. And then you get more is, worry lines on your owner. Correct. So so choosing um, the right feed um, and it is, is really hard. And so mm. even, the, even the guidelines though for a feed to be approved by the Laminitis Trust, their guidelines still say, I haven't checked in the last month, but their guidelines still say that the feed only has to be less than 40% non-structural carbohydrate. Now, really? without, a, without a doubt, a 40% non-structural carbohydrate feed is going to cause laminitis in a laminitis-prone horse. So wow. even, even they're not necessarily safe. Interesting. Yeah, I read somewhere on somebody's blog. The blog is is through a, a veterinary clinic um, that specializes in laminitis, mm-hmm. and they were talking about keeping the non-structural carbohydrates um, below twenty over in the total diet. Mm-hmm. And they said that that you know that's our goal for our clients is the total diet when we put it all together and crunch all the numbers. It had to be below 20 and they said in really severe cases they were trying to keep it below 15 which i thought was mm. very interesting see I'd, I'd i'd be trying to keep everyone below 15 and if possible below 12 wow mm. everybody has to go over to feed excel and put all their diets in <laughs> or find yourself a, a, a doctor of equine nutrition take them to dinner and give them a couple of um, beverages of, a, of the adult variety and pick their brains <laughs> one of the two that's right See what we do. What we do in Feed Excel is go through all of the ingredients um, when we put a feed in the database, and if it contains any grains or grain pride products or molasses, we we give it a tick and say no, it contains grain. So then, if you say that your horse has got laminitis, any of those feeds that have got any of those grain or grain byproducts gets highlighted red. 
Ah, to say. So, you, so it's there, you see it, but you know that, um, excuse me. Oh, very interesting. Hmm. Um, cool. But it is, I mean, it's not, it's not easy to pick a good feed for a laminated horse. And even some feeds like really, really sensitive um, horses and particularly horses that have got Cushing's disease that then causes the laminitis, um, even feeds that are seemingly safe for laminated horses and do have really low sugar and starch levels can still trigger laminitis um, because they're sensitive to something else. I mean, it could be the potassium, which um, initiates an insulin response. Um, in some cases, you can... Um, People are pretty convinced that nitrates are causing laminitis. I mean, there's all these other things that, that could be in feeds for particularly sensitive horses that could trigger them as well. And this um, is why people with laminated horses have worry lines. The, um, the fever rings that laminated horses get on their hooves mm-hmm. match the worry lines that the humans yes, get on their right. foreheads. They go together. So on people, those worry lines on your forehead aren't really worry lines. Those are... Founder lines. <laughs> Coming off your horse's hooves. Yes. Well, once again, Dr. Richards, fascinating, interesting stuff um, about feeding horses with, that are laminitic and at all different levels and how to be really smart about it. Mm-hmm. Um, tell folks where they can go find out more really cool information um, from FeedXL. How do you do that? All right. So if you go to FeedXL.com, um, and we have an, a newsletter on there called Feeding the Laminated Course. So just look down the section that says other cool stuff and in there it's got newsletters. Um, and our newsletter number 12 is about feeding the laminated course. So it covers what we've just talked about plus a little bit of other stuff. Um, you can go and read about it there. And it's all written so that folks who do not have a PhD can understand. Yes. And if you yes. don't understand, email us and say, I don't understand. Could you please explain this to me? And I can tell you from experience, the folks at FeedXL are extremely patient. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. We tried again. <laughs> Thanks, Jennifer. Well, thank you to Dr. Narada Richards for putting that together from FeedXL.com and to Jennifer for providing that for us. We will have a recorded show for you tomorrow. The driving show will be out, but we won't be back live until Friday, and you'll actually be in California, correct? I will. I will. I get to go work uh, with some veterans and uh, first responders at Vegas Up Farms in California with Monty. That's terrific. You know, there, there there are these veterans, we didn't really talk about it after the interview, but there are these veterans programs popping up o- all over the country. I love how this one does combine the Mustangs and the veterans together. And yes. I, you know, more of these programs, the better. We still need homes for all of those Mustangs. So that are sitting in pens right now. And the more ways we can find to get them gentled and to get to, n- into people's homes safely, the better. Somebody can adopt this dog. I'll go get another Mustang. <laughs> thousand dollars you can adopt the dog for a thousand dollars i'll give it to you how about that <laughs> <laughs> all right thanks everybody we appreciate it thank you jemmy jemmy anything going on uh over in your world that we need to know about um she- no <laughs> <laughs> okay. peacocks are slowly uh coming back i don't know where they all went but hey like there is something new that's coming out tomorrow. What? Tell everybody about it on the Florida Podcast Network. And Jim, oh, Jamie right. will be yeah, interested in this. <laughs> so we have a brand new show uh, coming on to the Florida Podcast Network called the Florida Beer Podcast. And it's being hosted by David Butler. He's been writing the Florida Beer blog for about five years now. So he's been visiting 
breweries all over the state and tasting all kinds of craft beer and talking to the personalities behind them. So he just started a podcast. He got about 20 episodes deep and I said, Nope, you're joining the network. And he said, okay. (laughs) So his actually, it's kind of, kind of poetic. His, so it's his 21st episode. So it's like his show's coming of age tomorrow on the network. And uh, we're excited to see that, that show come on. Yeah. Jamie's sitting there thinking. Look to FloridaPodcastNetwork.com slash Florida Beer Podcast. Jamie's sitting there thinking, I could be doing a show about beer, and here I am talking about horses. I could just be traveling the state drinking beer. That's what this guy does. I just want to say that you guys, as the Florida podcasting hosts, have come up with just a really, really good business model, which is go around... Get stuff for free and talk about it. How much beer did you drink when we met him the other night, Jimmy? Oh, my gosh. Probably about, if I had to put a price tag on it, uh, yeah, it would be the kind of thing that if I had a man staying there next to me, I would have slid the bill right across. (laughs) (laughs) You did have a man. His name is Glenn. Yeah, well, see, we have a system because I don't like beer. So we go to all these breweries and stuff in our travels, and they want us to try everything. Well, I always find the fruitiest one I can find that I can actually stand and actually take sips of. And I you don't sit- even try beer? Uh, no. Like, to taste so, it? So oh, they always get me to... diva. They always get me to try something. So I try the fruity tasting ones, and then I just sip them a little bit, and when nobody's looking, Jemmy guzzles them for me. So it makes it look like I drank them. <laughs> I mean, they're awkwardly on the table, like it's it's only so many times I can I can watch the the guy who handed you the ma- master behind the craft who handed you his the blood product sweat of tears. years of work right just how many times can I have him awkwardly look at you and then look at the glass and look at you and then look back at me and then look at you and then look at the glass <laughs> Glenn I'm gonna I'm gonna teach you I'm Jimmy teach takes you one for the team she has to finish all my beer I mean. Yeah. You're the driver. (laughs) So here's the thing, Glenn. When I was younger and in my 20s and I hosted a lot of events at bars and and clubs and stuff in my radio days, people would inevitably buy you shots like. Yeah, and, and I'm assuming that the beer comes in a little small container. So what you do is you, okay, so say you're sitting in a bar and you're like bellied up to the bar, right? And somebody hands you a shot. Well, you can't be that guy who's like, no, I don't want any more shots. What are y'all trying to do? Give me drunk. I'm like a 25 year old girl here at a bar. No, you just go cheers and you toast everybody. And as they're swigging their shots, you dump your shot in between your knees onto the floor and then put it real quickly up to your mouth. Bartenders love okay, you. Oh my Jamie, God. That's a terrible plan. I'll yeah. tell you, I'll tell you why. That's a terrible plan. Glenn has the hand-eye coordination of <laughs> it's, 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 it doesn't exist. So what would happen is he'd end up spilling it, not between his knees, but on his lap. And He's then like, it would be a I, whole nother thing. I, I wet my pants. <laughs> no, or you throw it. See, I was going to tell you what I have done before is then you, oh, you, toast and then everybody swigs the shot you just throw the shot like the the liquid out of the shot over your shoulder and then you put it to your lips but here's the deal somebody is inevitably going to walk by behind you when you do that wait so i don't know baby the new trend with these craft beer breweries is it's a family affair so a lot of them bring their children including david who met us there the other day so we had a small child she was like five and then a bunch of other kids running around so 
Glenn would be that guy who throws the shot right on a child. <laughs> right on a kid. Yes. I'm, I'm not here. It's not, a, it's not a perfect system. I think Jemmy's fighting for to keep drinking it, so it's good. I understand that, Jemmy. It's cool. Oh, she takes just, her job very seriously. Yeah, she does. I was just giving advice for the listeners out there. If somebody buys you a shot and you don't want to drink it, just do what I did. Dump it on the there floor and then act like you drank it. I'm always shocked when she comes up with when they give her these flights of beers. And, you know, the, it's not like it's not like when we went moonshine tasting where they give these tiny little cup uh no it's they give her full-size glasses of beer and i'm always shocked when there's one she doesn't like it she said oh she drinks it anyway but i mean what are you like are you an ipa girl or like what do you uh what do you what is your what's your favorite yes (laughs) (laughs) i like sour beer um i'm not a huge like hoppy ipa person but i'll drink it um but yeah i'm a i'm a beer person too i love tasting beer so jemmy here's what i'm saying is we're gonna fire glenn and i'll come with you (laughs) there you go you know what jemmy will help you get the oklahoma beer podcast going oh my god that'd be (laughs) awesome (laughs) Let's do it. Oklahoma <laughs> beer. Here you go. Here we're going to give you a sample of Bud Light. And over here we're going to give you a sample of, this is called PBR. You ever heard of that? Have you ever had Mad Dog? Because we mix it with some Clamato and have it over here. Yeah. Sounds delicious. Never mind. It you, could... can put the beer, you can run the beer line right through a peephole. Just right through the peephole. <laughs> You don't even need a big peepo. Just, just get you get you just a tiny peepo. <laughs> oh my god, I'm leaving. All right, everybody, spay neuter geld. Have a good one. I think that'd be a great show. Uh, actually, yeah. I think there's a lot of material there. We ought to look at that. The Oklahoma Beer Podcast. <laughs> I just me going anywhere in Oklahoma would be a good podcast, except for the place I got the dog. We don't want to go there again. <laughs> All right, everybody, we'll see. You. Have a good fourth. Bye.